What a great song, uh, Brett and Grace Marie and the women did. And let's give them another hand. Great, great, great job on that. And on this Mother's Day, could we have uh, moms stand all across the room? We want to certainly welcome you and congratulate you and thank you for being the moms you are. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, moms. You may be seated. As we continue our sermon series on Fixer Upper, based on the popular TV show by Chip and Joanna Gaines, we all love a good transformation story. And we believe that today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can all be transformed. We can be changed. We can become the people that we are, we're meant to be. Let me just say, dads, if you've not yet uh, got that Mother's Day thing done, uh, a fixer-upper might be in store for you. Uh, and maybe uh, if you've not done anything, maybe you can go do some, be a picker-upper, just pick up around the house, do whatever, make it up, right? Last week, Nick did a great job preaching a message on curb appeal. And I went home this past week and was inspired and, and planted new flowers and plants. And uh, uh, his message was, was on duplicity. When the outside looks good, but the inside is a mess. So today we're working on more inside stuff. You know, today's housing market, many of our homes look the same. They look like our neighbor's houses and other communities. And one of the goals of a good fixer-upper is to make a house pop, you know, it's to, to make it stand out in, in a good way. In fact, if you watch the show Fixer-Upper, they'll put a big uh, facade over the front of the house when they're getting ready to do the big reveal. And uh, the family's there waiting anxiously to see, see the house revealed, the, the transformation. And they roll it back and they're all stunned at how it looks. It just looks different. It looks better. And Melody read to you a scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, three chapters in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And one of the main themes in the Sermon on the Mount is this. That you and I as Christ followers are to look different. We're not to look like everybody else. The way we love people, the way we treat people, and the way we forgive people should look different. And so today we're going to talk about renovating relationships and, and primarily focus on forgiveness. I want to focus on how we handle things when people, when we've offended people, and then secondly, when people have offended us. So let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you for your word that reveals that there are things we need to do in regards to forgiveness. And we thank you that you have forgiven us if we've asked you. We've, if we've invited Jesus into our heart, you have taken away our sins. You've forgiven us and given us grace. And that you call us as forgiven people to be forgiving people. So may we hear your word clearly today. And even as we pray right now, May you bring that person, that situation into our memory so we can respond to them differently as you would respond to them. So guide us and we have this uh, conversation with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now there was a little boy who had not been behaving in the grocery store. You moms have never experienced that, right? He was having a tough time behaving and his mom had forbidden him to touch anything else. 
Well, mom had gone further down the aisle and she heard this crash, <laughs> loud noise. And she looked back and there was little Johnny holding a can of tuna that he had pulled off the bottom of the big tuna display. And tuna cans were everywhere. In her embarrassment and anger, she stormed down the aisle, picked the little boy up, put him in the buggy and said, don't you dare move another inch, young man. Now the boy was apologetic. He was sorry. <clears throat> in a few minutes, he got the courage to say, mom, you know, you said the other day when God forgives our sins, he buries them at the bottom of the deepest ocean. Remember that? And through clenched teeth, mom said, yes, son. <laughs> and didn't you say, mom, that, uh, no matter what we do, that God won't bring it up again. He won't, he won't bring it up. Yes, son. The little boy said, well, mommy, I think when we get home, you're going to go fishing. <laughs> think about that. How oftentimes do we go fishing when it comes to forgiveness? God has forgiven us. Maybe somebody else has forgiven us. Maybe we forgive another person, but we keep going fishing. We keep reeling up the past we keep replaying the pain. And I'm guessing that throughout the morning, there have been people who have already tuned out the message because you've been hurt. Your heart's been broken. Somebody's really done something wrong to you. And you say, I just can't forgive them. Or I'm not sure I can forgive them. I believe that God has a word for you today. Others of you are hoping, I hope that he hears this. Or I hope that she hears this. Now, don't punch the person next to you too hard. Or you're even thinking, I hope so-and-so is here this morning to hear this message. I hope they're listening. And if they're not here, I'm going to send them a link to the live stream. I believe that God has a word for you also. I know I struggled putting this message together because God has been working on me. And in this passage that Melody read for you, in prayer, in worship, we're often reminded by God that there is a situation. There is someone that we need to forgive or we have something wrong going on between two people. And that's how prayer should work. Prayer should work that way. You know, when we're praying, God's going to bring things into our mind. He's going to remind us of things we need to do, of things we need to take on and pick up and go and do. We remember, and this is where the vertical, our relationship with God always intersects our relationship with other people. And you really can't, and, God, and Jesus is saying, you really can't worship God effectively if you have these problems going on this way. And you need to leave your prayers, leave your worship, and go and make it right. So this morning, how do we handle when I've offended someone? I want to talk about fixing a relationship that you broke or I broke. And the first temptation, whenever God brings that person to our mind, reminds us that we need to go fix something that we broke is we use the but word. But Lord, you don't understand. But Lord, that situation, you know, they, they, they really said something they shouldn't have said or whatever. We, 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 we do that a lot. We make an excuse or we do the blame game. Now, we get that honestly, that blame thing, because in the beginning, in Genesis chapter three, after God has created this incredible creation, 
has placed Adam and Eve in the garden, given them clear instructions about they can enjoy all the benefits of the garden, but that one tree over there, the tree of knowledge, leave it alone. Just don't let that go. Enjoy everything else in the garden. But we know as the serpent comes into the garden, begins to lie to Eve in particular at this point, convinces her that God is not looking out for her best interest. You hear that lie sometimes, right? Where God really doesn't love you. That God doesn't really care about you. That God wouldn't let that happen to you. And so she listens and she eats of the tree, eats of the apple, and then she shares it with Adam. And, and then whenever God comes visiting in the garden, maybe in a time of prayer, God shows up. And uh, what do they do? Well, Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent. And probably collectively, they're both blaming God. God, if you hadn't put that serpent in the garden, we wouldn't have messed up. Or if you hadn't put that tree over there and said, don't eat of it, we wouldn't have messed up. You see, God has given all of us free will. He gave them free will and they had a choice and they made a bad choice. And when you and I make bad choices, we need to not blame other people, not make excuses for our choices, but acknowledge that we messed up. And then the scripture is clear that when you're praying and worshiping and God reminds you that you've offended someone, hurt someone, the action is always get up and go. It's always go. It's not maybe go. It's not should I go. It's get up and go. And the answer is always the same. It's really crystal clear. Just go make it right. Go ask for forgiveness and don't wait. You know, that's a big problem in, in, in your home, right? If you have a leaky faucet or a leaky roof, big mistake to wait, right? Because it can get a lot worse. In the same way with forgiveness. When God prompts you, when God reveals to you, reminds you, you need to go. And Jesus says, go and make short accounts. You know, it's one of the things that is really important spiritually that we keep short accounts with God because we are going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short of the glory of God. We need to confess it, repent of it, and, and seek to live differently. In the same way in our relations, we're going to mess up. I'm going to, I'm going to mess up. You know, I'm going to say the wrong thing uh, to Lynn. You know, uh, we were on vacation last week, and I'm sure it happened more than one, you know, once or twice probably. You know, but we got to deal with it. And we actually talk about, it. you know, we almost 40 years we've been married. We can talk about this, right? We, we can handle this. We can work through this. This is good. And we do it immediately rather than letting it sit there and stew. So don't wait. So again, Jesus says in Matthew 5, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. God is concerned about your relationships. And your relationships affect your relationship with God. But what about when someone offends you? How do you fix a relationship that they broke? You know, that's a, a little more challenging situation. Somebody has broken relationship with you. There's a great uh, a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, and I'm going to read from it today. And if you've got your Bible, you can uh, try to see along uh, in this room. But uh, I... Uh, the words aren't going to be on the screen for you. So I'm going to read some of the text to you. It begins with Peter coming uh, to Jesus and asks, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Anybody here ask that question? 
How many times do I have to forgive that person? Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a neighbor. Hopefully it's not your spouse, but how many times do I got to forgive someone? And, uh, who sins against me seven times, you know, Peter's thinking seven times. That's a good number, right? Because Jewish tradition was three times. And so Peter's doubled the amount and added one to it. He's feeling pretty good about himself. Hey, seven times, Jesus, I got to forgive. What does Jesus say? No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> wow. 70 times seven. Now I'm not going to do the math on that, but suffice it to say what Jesus uh, means here is that every single time. When somebody offends you, every single time, your responsibility is to forgive that person. Every time. That's a hard teaching for us because some of us in here are counters and we keep track of when somebody offends us. We may not write it on a piece of paper, but we got it up here. And we keep a running tally and we, and we think at some point they're going to reach their max and I'm done. And, and I'm guilty of that sometimes of getting done, right? You ever get done? I'm just done. Well, Jesus convicts me that I've got to go beyond seven times. I got to go on every single time I've got to offer forgiveness. And he goes and tells this incredible parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Now notice he's asking for patience. He's asking for an extension. Then his master was filled with mercy, filled with pity, and he released him and forgave him his debt. Now, I don't know about you, if I was just forgiven of millions of dollars of debt, facing prison, all my family, I would text somebody. <laughs> I would give a shout out to somebody. Guess what just happened? You won't believe this. It's all been, it's gone, it's released. But the man didn't think that way because when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. He begged for an extension. He begged for mercy. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But, the, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, when some of the other folks saw this, and remember, to be a Christ follower, Jesus is teaching that we need to look different than everybody else. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. 
And then these sobering words from Jesus, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. A very difficult teaching, an unpayable debt, and all of us in this room know what that means. All of us have an unpayable debt to God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And no amount of money, no amount of good works can ever pay our debt. But Jesus Christ came on a cross and he died there. His blood was shed to wash away our sins. Now, I want you to hear this. Whenever you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he doesn't give you an extension to go do good works so you can earn enough, do, it, do enough to make it right. He forgets it and forgives it. He releases you from your sins. That's mercy, is it not? That's incredible mercy that we have. That's why we sing amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. But when this forgiven servant encounters his friend, his fellow servant, who owes just a few measly thousand dollars, he refuses to be forgiving. And then he's thrown into prison. And I think it's very interesting that how the word says he was tortured, handed over to tormentors. You know, it was a great song that um, the worship team sang earlier. I spent... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I spent some time, Lynn and I spent some time uh, at the Billy Graham Center and spent two or three wonderful days there at the Cove uh, with some other leaders talking about revival. And the, the, Tom Phillips, who's kind of the number two guy at the Billy Graham Association, talks about that, that every day Billy Graham prays for revival to come to, to America. And... Uh, and that he believes God is keeping it alive until revival comes to America. But folks, I don't believe revival is going to come until we start revealing what God is like. And whenever we receive forgiveness, we've got to go and forgive others and reveal who God is and show God's power is real. But we've been handed over to tormentors. Some of you here today are being tormented because you're refusing to forgive someone who has offended you. And I get that. That's hard to do. What are those tormentors? Frustration, anger. You can't sleep at night. You wake up thinking about the situation. You're developing bitterness in your heart. It's making you sick. It's making you depressed. And when you get into that place, you get into slander and you get into gossip. Again, you're always keeping score and you're pretending everything's okay, but you can't move on. You're stuck and you're being tormented. You're in prison because you're unable to forgive. I love the incredible story of Nelson Mandela. After 27 years being released from a South African prison, he said this, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. I'd still be in prison. See, forgiveness is leaving your hate at the gate. And some of you here this morning need to leave your hate at the gate. There is so much dissension in our nation. And some of it is because we don't 
have the ability to forgive and move on? Will you leave your hate at the gate? You see, when God forgives us, he refuses to allow our wrongs to have the final say. We forgive others. We refuse to, to allow their wrongs to have the final say. And we refuse to let our wounds and our tormentors have the last word. So this morning, if God has reminded you that you have offended someone, you need to get up in a few minutes and go and make things right and then bring your sacrifice, your prayers, your worship to God. And if someone has offended you, because you have been forgiven of so much as a Christ follower, you have got to go and give them forgiveness. So how do we level with others? I came across something I never had seen before uh, in looking at some stuff on this message. It's something called teshuva. It's a Jewish tradition of realignment with God and others. And, and, and there are six steps of teshuva, and, and they're all very pertinent on how we level with others how we make things right. I want to give you those this morning as some very practical application, how to level with others. The first is regret. It's to recognize and realize you've hurt someone or you're again in a situation where someone has hurt you. And that may be revealed to you in prayer, in worship, you've forgotten about it, you've tried to forget about it, you can't forget about it, and you finally get to a place of regret. You're sorry that it happened. And number two is repentance is you repent of the wrong and you decide to change your way, change your story. Don't you know that this servant who owed millions of dollars, his story, his life was changed. But because he refused to forgive someone a little bit, his story went back to the same. This morning, you can have a new story if you will experience repentance not just to God, but also to someone else. And number three then is go and request forgiveness. Apologize. And then you've heard this little acronym, KISS, keep it simple, stupid, right? So, so when you go and make a request for forgiveness, you don't say but. Don't those, don't those apologies drive you crazy? I forgive you, but. <laughs> and you know, you fill in the blank there or the blame thing that we do. So you, you gotta go with no, no pretense. You just go and request forgiveness. Now, again, uh, they, they may not respond to you immediately. You don't get in an argument. You don't get in a debate. You just say, I'm sorry. And number four is then restitution. You know, because of what Christ has done for us, he's, he's already made restitution for us. On the cross, he, he again died for our sins. He paid the penalty we've have restitution with God through Christ and we've got to go and make restitution with others. If we owe people something, we need to go pay them back. If we've gossiped about them, we need to go and take it back. If we've insulted them, take it back. It's been 15 or more years ago. We had a person who got very upset in the church and got very angry about something and they made a, made, made, spread, spread some things that weren't true, said some things about the church, a situation that weren't true. And they, they came to me and said, I'm leaving the church. I'm, I'm gone. 
this situation will destroy Mount Horeb. I don't want to be a part of Mount Horeb anymore. You know, I was angry. Uh, but then God convinced me I need to let it go and let, let this person go. And they left. And a year or two later, they came back and apologized. They said, I want to, I want to apologize. I was wrong. And I, uh, I want you to forgive me. And I said, look, I forgave you a long time ago. But I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Will you go to all the people that you said a lie to and, and gossip to and apologize to them? <laughs> I think you got real nervous because they evidently talked to a lot of people. <laughs> but sometimes we got to go make it right and, 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 and do restitution. Number five is rehabilitation. And that means I got to work on me. I got to work on the things that caused me to offend. Or I need to begin now to work on the relationship and, and, and seek to make it better. I need to have a change of heart on how I deal with things. And number six is reconciliation. When you're at peace with God, you're at peace with yourself. And through these other five steps, you begin to have reconciliation in a relationship. Let me say a word about reconciliation. Forgiveness only takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. And the people, person that you offended or the person who's offended with you may not be ready for reconciliation. It may take some time to heal some hurts. You know, I want to say that all things are forgivable because all things are redeemable. But not all things are reconcilable. Can I say that? In the case of abuse, in, in the case of violence, in the case of great injustice, when bullets are still flying, things may not be reconcilable. I know you know the story of Abraham Lincoln and his assassin, John Wilkes Booth. Lincoln wanted to reconcile and repair a nation and, and John Wilkes Booth wanted revenge. There are some people who are unwilling to reconcile and are bent on revenge. But you do what God tells you to do. And you go and do those regret, repentance, request, restitution, rehabilitation, and seek reconciliation. Leave it in God's hands. So I want to give you some keys to forgiveness. The first key is remembering how much you've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. Again, that's the whole point of Jesus' parable. Remember how much you've been forgiven. By the grace of God, I would say to you, if you confess your sins today, you're forgiven. In the name of Jesus, you're forgiven. You're forgiven people here if you confess your sins. And that's an incredible, incredible gift of God to you. Forgiven people in this room. Now, it's required that you go and be a forgiving person because of how much you've been forgiven. And secondly, I would say forgiveness sometimes, oftentimes is choosing mercy over justice. This is a hard one for us, mercy over justice. Again, in the parable, Jesus said, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you. Remember my opening story, little Johnny in the grocery store. <laughs> he was hoping for mercy from his mom. Someone asked me this week, what is God's number one characteristic in the Bible? What would you say is God's number one characteristic in the Bible? 
Love? That's what I said. I said, love has got to be God's number one characteristic in the Bible. You know what they said? Well, that's not exactly correct. God's number one characteristic in the Bible is mercy. That we have a merciful God who loves us. It is God's mercy, God's love that changes our lives. God said to Moses, the Lord our God is merciful. The Lord, the God, the Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Do you want to reveal who God is to a world that doesn't believe in God? Be merciful. Be gracious. Be long-suffering. Be abounding in goodness and truth. So when we show mercy, we make God look good. No, we make God look great. To those who don't know him, to those who have misconceptions about God, our world is full of misconceptions about God. And where do those misconceptions come from? Us. Because of the way we treat each other. And the way we struggle in giving forgiveness and grace and mercy to people. You are to be a light to the world and show grace and mercy. And I know there are people here this morning that have been hurt, that have been horribly wronged. There are moms here who have been hurt by husbands. Moms have been hurt by children. There are children here who have been hurt by parents. I want to spend just a minute on God's mercy and God's justice. And they're going to bring a couple of chairs out here. And I'm going to illustrate uh, real quickly God's mercy and God's justice. You see, both of these seats belong to God. Mercy and justice belong to God. He's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. And too oftentimes we only see God sitting in the seat of justice, the seat of judgment. We, we believe that God is a God who's looking down his nose at us, waiting for us to do something wrong so he can judge us. And because we think that about God, we sit here in this seat a lot in the seat of justice, in the seat of judgment. We make these judgments on people. But the invitation this morning is to consider the seat of mercy. You know, when we sit in the seat of justice, we, we want people to get what's coming to them. They wronged us, so we want to make sure they get what's coming to them. And we want, just for good measure, maybe a little bit more, right? Maybe they should get just a little more pain than what they inflicted upon us. But the invitation again is to maybe sit over in the seat of mercy. And you know, when you sit in the seat of mercy, you realize that God has the power. You get out of the way so that God can give his justice because his justice is always right. His justice is always exact because we'll mess it up. We'll mess it up. So as Christians, we're called to sit in the seat of mercy. And I believe when we sit in the seat of mercy, it, 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 it unlocks us from hostility and from hatred and from bitterness and anger in those tormentors that come after us. And through the years of ministry, as a pastor, I've been blessed with mercy. You know, all of us in this room are, are fallible. <laughs> We all make mistakes. And I'm grateful, grateful for the people through the years that have shown me mercy. You know, 
And, and, and I'm, I'm bound to give others mercy. This morning in the early, earlier service, my good friends, the Bowers were here. My good friend, Alex, who I severely injured by hitting him in the head with a golf ball. And it was really a very tragic and almost death, near death experience for Alex. And, but all through it, they showed me mercy. And I forget from Alex speaking to me from his hospital bed with his eyes swollen shut. I didn't want to go in there. But Alex said to me, Pastor Jeff, it wasn't your fault. I've never had anybody speak that much mercy into my life before. But other times here, God has showed mercy and, and we want to be a church of mercy, a church of grace. And then three other points on forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is not always forgetting just because you give forgiveness doesn't mean you're going to forget immediately. It may not happen right away. I believe that God can take and cleanse our memories, but sometimes we don't forget. And forgetting sometimes helps us set more appropriate boundaries so we don't make the same mistake twice. So we not always forget. I believe God can take away painful memories and hurts. Forgiveness is promising not to throw someone under the bus. And we've all done that, right? We've forgiven someone, but then we throw them under the bus. We, we talked about it. We talked about them. And then the final thing, forgiveness is to be repeated as much as necessary. That's a hard one. How many times? 70 times seven. Repeated as often as necessary. On this Mother's Day, I want to close with a true story of forgiveness by a remarkable mother. I want to tell you a story about Miss Emily Warren, who is the mother of Jack Warren, our director of traditional music. She died just a few months ago at the age of 100. And Jack learned something about his mom that he had never known before and has given Bill and myself permission to share with you. To give you some background, Jack's father was a Methodist pastor in Florida. And the family was living in a small town of Brandon, Florida. It was on the morning of January 11th, 1962. Reverend Warren was taking his son Ben to school. At the railroad crossing in Brandon, there was no blinking red lights to warn motors of an oncoming train. And that morning, the train was traveling much too fast. Reverend Warren's car stalled on the railroad tracks. Later, it was proved that the engineer had been drinking. The train crashed into Reverend Warren's car, killing him instantly. Miraculously, his son escaped serious injury. And Miss Warren was left with four children, 15, 13, 8, and 6. Now, here's part of the story that Jack didn't know until a month ago. Jack and his siblings put in a conference call to Dick Stowers. He was the former funeral director in Brandon to let him know that their mother had passed and Mr. Stowers said to them, I want to share something with you about your mother that I never shared before. At your father's funeral back in 1962, I noticed an unfamiliar man standing in the back who was clearly distraught. I approached him and asked if I could help. And he was the engineer on that train that killed Reverend Warren. He asked me if I thought Mrs. Warren might be willing to speak to him. He asked Mrs. Warren and she agreed to do so. As she approached the man, 
He broke down, he sobbed, he pleaded for forgiveness. And Mrs. Warren, a mother of four children, ages 15, 13, eight, and six, took the man's face into her hands and said, my husband would not want you to go through this burden the rest of your life. We'll be okay and you're forgiven. Now that incredible display of love and grace, I believe kept Miss Warren's heart free from bitterness. She lived to the old age of 100. But also I believe her words probably saved the soul of an engineer that day. And folks, when we give forgiveness, we look different than the rest of the world. We reveal the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. And today, will you receive the mercy of God? And perhaps you need to get up out of the seat of judgment and slip over into the seat of mercy. That's the only way that Mrs. Warren could forgive the man who killed her husband in 1962. Can I pray with you? Father God, I thank you that Jesus has come and given his life on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. That if anyone here today has looked upon God as a judging God, a condemning God, that they would know that our God is a loving God, that he loves you, sent his son to die for you, to give you mercy, to give you grace. And that right now, if you confess your sins, he will, he will cleanse you. He'll forgive you and he'll make you right with him. He'll release you from your debt. And I claim in the name of Jesus that you're forgiven through your confession. As we pray this prayer, if God brings someone to your mind that you know you need to get up and go and forgive, may God give you the courage and the strength to do so. And when that person comes to you who's offended you, who's hurt you, that you, through the grace of Jesus, the mercy of God, would extend mercy to them. And you'll be released from the prison of torment and set free to live a life of peace and purpose. And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.